This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Welcome to Bringing Design Closer. Our goal is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organizations to become more human-centered in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm the founder of the Human Centered Design Network and the CEO of ThisIsDoing.com, home to many of the world's best design and changemaker courses online. Today in the show, we have Laura Yarrow, Head of Design at Her Majesty's Land Registry in the United Kingdom. And in this episode, we chat about design agitation and enabling change within organizations. Laura recently shared a fantastic thread on Twitter about many of the common designer statements that we've probably heard a million times that no one is listening to me. And we chat about the challenges that many designers have in their workplaces and how Laura approaches many of these within her role at the government in the United Kingdom. It's a good one. Let's jump straight in. Laura Yarrow. A very warm welcome to Bring in Design Closer and this is Hate City. I'm delighted to have you here. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm delighted to have you here. I follow you on Twitter and um, I'm looking forward to getting into some of the topics today around, you know, design leadership and agitators and what, what does that look like? But before we jump into the conversation, Laura, maybe tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from. I can do and what that. you do so, as well. I was going to say, what do I do? Yeah. And do you want me to start from the very beginning, like the beginning of You were born in time. 19... I was born... I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I mean, my my background is in web development. I started that and that's where my career started. And I, I sort of slowly transitioned into the, the UCD world. So uh, research and design. Um, so I was, I was in my safe space of computers being, you know, the, the safe space, black and white. IT. Very, binary it very binary easy once you've you sort of worked it out how to how to do that mm-hmm. and then you know the whole world of humans came to me and design and how you know that's so much more interesting isn't it there's so much more complex so many more gray areas mm. with people and that's that's kind of how i got into user-centered design um and i've just been fascinated ever since with what people do and yeah why they do it because they are just strange creatures aren't we we're all very odd um so my, <laughs> some more than others, yeah. <laughs> Looking at you. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. my uh, my current role is um, working for UK central government. So I work for the land registry, um, and that's a team of designers. So I'm I'm the head of design there, the design practice, and that consists of content interaction, accessibility, 
and service designers. And we've recently added a wow. design ops person into the mix because we're growing. There's about 25 people, I want to say now, but it fluctuates at the moment. Okay. You know, it's, uh, it's busy. So um, what does a typical day look like for you then in um, the land registry? Meetings, <laughs> Teams meetings, Slack messages. Um, but yeah, we're working with all different people. Sounds so exciting. We, we have a, a really strong, yeah, a really strong community of designers. And um, so a lot of that is based around them uh, understanding their needs, uh, mm. training and um, how we want to grow the community and progress people through their careers and do great design for public yeah. services, basically, because it is public services we work on they have to be accessible and usable um inclusive uh con- consistent hmm. efficient you know all these things that we have to to design for is is my remit and my names on the sign off you know to make sure that they they are done correctly uh and we meet the user need so that's 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 kind ex- of, yeah it is exciting like you know when you when you get to be that person to, to as you said to sign off and things and you, you, your name is there against it um but that kind of responsibility doesn't happen by chance. So we're going to talk a little bit more around um, the leadership side of your role. It sounds like we could we could talk about a whole different um, gamut of stuff based on what you just told us. But I definitely want to focus a little bit more on what does it look like and moving the dial forward, which is something that I'm really passionate about, especially within the government sense and where you're at. And just to, to back up, you know, the kind of to zoom out a little bit more in this conversation, what led us to connecting, um, you know, about this podcast was, was a tweet that you put out um, towards the end of January this year. And I'm going to I'm going to read the tweet out just for people who haven't seen it, because you were mentioning there it's had over 200,000 views at this stage. Um, and it starts off with, and as you said, you get a little bit ranty, which I don't like, <laughs> uh, which I, I do like, uh, I don't mind. Because over the years, the most common designer complaint has always been no one listens and UX isn't uh, a priority or understood. So I want to throw something controversial out there. Some of this is our own doing. A quickish thread and why and how to fix it. I haven't met one designer that had it easy. Even orgs that invest heavily in user-centered design still have their issues. It's always the elusive seat at the table that designers chase. And it's common to feel that you're stepped on or underappreciated. This is common. It's not you. However, as humans, we all have a certain amount of agency and freedom to try and change things, like the amount of time, design, and research is given in an organization. Some people might call this being an agitator. And to an extent, I agree with this is a good thing. So let's talk about what it means to be an agitator. Um, what, where, where and why are you using that word? And what's the background to it? I think I think the background is something I touched on there in, in that thread, which is that we always want this seat at the table. And I like to mm. say, and others have said this, this isn't my my quote or my thought really, but um, you know, you can either be at the table, and if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, you know? So you you're the mm. you're the one on the menu. And I think that's where this feeling comes from. There's this accepted feeling that as a designer, you will always be on the menu. You will never have that seat and you're always fighting to do the work that you want to do. And this is something I'm guilty of throughout my career Mm. as well, is that I've been frustrated with that. You know, you have this um, role that maybe has a social impact. You know, we're designing things for people to make their lives hopefully better. 
Um, but at the same time, you feel undervalued, um, you're underfunded, you're misunderstood. No one really understands what design does. It's quite a loaded term. And then you get this mm. perfect storm and that makes people act in different ways where you become this agitator, you, you're, you know, you're frustrated, you're territorial, mm. you know, only I do the design work, only I do the wireframes. Um, and, you know, you, you're, you're not advocating in the right way. Um, you're not collaborating and um, you may even be quite derogatory. So I think I put that in the thread too, that you might yeah. sort of perpetuate this them and us, you know, I don't talk to developers or, um, you know, they they said I couldn't do this, you know, they. Mm. <laughs> and And I think that's where it comes from is that we have that agency to change that relationship and that is designed too. We need to design that collaboration. We need to mm. get that bedrock right first. Um, it's interesting yeah. because... Um, <laughs> In, in in the thread you also mentioned about being good and bad agitation yeah. and instantly whenever we talk about this it can start down the road of potential conflict and conflict resolution is part of being able to to navigate this so in that sense we said this territorialism around say artifact generation like we we do the research or we do the 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 sense making or the the visualization pieces not you sit down development all those kind of conversations which i've i've been in yeah. i was going to say i've been part of and i have been part of them maybe about 10 years ago and then eventually i was like do you know what i kind of don't have time for this i'm happy to share this with you and just try and get get an outcome that works to both both of our kind of uh, agendas how have you managed this because within government um, it just seems to be a lot more prevalent that people who, who have been long stays within government, that territorialism kind of comes part and parcel with their roles. Like this is my area. I've been doing this for 20 years. That's going to be a bigger challenge when you're trying to prize those kind of pieces away that is almost locked in with their identities. How do you manage that? So, yeah, these long-standing habits and behaviours. So, I mean, yeah. this is the irony, right, isn't it? We're supposed to be the experts on people and the way humans behave. Mm. And then when we have to turn that inward and internally to the people we work with and see them as our users um, and our, our customers, we really mm. struggle. I mean, that's been my experience myself yeah. personally and in other roles I've been in. that I've And you see it all the time. I've, I've run training sessions. I've run... Uh, various meetups and communities and it's always the thing that gets people riled up and talking until like late into the evening is you know I just can't get this person to understand what I do or I just I just I'm so frustrated I'm just you know not included in the right meetings or the right ceremonies and stuff and, yeah. and actually you know that's that's really frustrating to hear because I think there are things we can do and I think I, I talked about those in the thread that, you know, it's all the invisible stuff that's the hardest, right? Isn't it? The how you govern yourself and how you um how you talk about what design is. And there's so many different pitfalls. So for example, I think one of the things that I see really commonly is we're really defensive as designers. And we don't always mm. know it as well. So we may be writing things like, uh, I just I just need time to do this bit of design. And it's almost like a please let me do it. <laughs> I'm asking your permission. Yeah. And actually we need to just be confident in our roles and say, look, I've been hired here to do a job. I'm the expert in this specific discipline and this is what design is and this is how we're going to do it. 
um, and I will guide you through that. I'm your strategic resource. So it's repositioning design in a way. So that's mm. one one thread. Um, and then it's building these relationships on the overlaps as well. So there's a case for saying that design works across the whole life cycle of a service or a product, mm. touching lots of different disciplines, um, whereas some don't, you know, like maybe dev only touches one part of the, the project. Um, yeah. And so on. So designers work across everything. And that means there's loads of these overlaps and opportunities, not challenges. (laughs) They're opportunities to work with someone. So we mentioned earlier someone saying, oh, that's my spot. Don't do the design. Um, I think if like someone brings you in product or a product manager, for example, brings you a, a wireframe and says, look, I've had this idea. That's great. You know, we should be encouraging people to think visually, mm. to to come to us and actually include us in the conversation and then have the opportunity to say, this is great. I'm the expert. I can on my you know expertise and my uh, uh, the evidence I've seen, I can I can help you make this great, you know, make this even better. So, yeah, <laughs> mm. there's there's definitely there's a, there's a lot to that. And I mean, we ask for collaboration and we ask for participation within uh other disciplines within organizations and i've had it a number of times uh, i remember one incident where i was doing work for a medical company and i was starting this is maybe 2011 or something i was starting to sort of welcome <laughs> I, was, I was kind of saying okay now now i'm kind of opening my mind a little bit more and i created the first draft of interaction wireframes for uh, this new system and I was presenting it remotely to the client who was in America the people who signed off in America and it was an hour long session and after 58 minutes I was like listen thanks very much this has been brilliant and there was a junior um, on the team who was you know kind of unbeknownst to me had also created his own set of wireframes and he goes can I just say one thing before we move and I go yeah sure and he was like uh, can I just you know can you give me the the sharing permissions and then start to share his own set of wireframes right. and I'm like <laughs> uh so what do you do in those instances and that was by the way that was I, I cut that one in the bud pretty quickly I was like don't do that again but I had to understand where that was coming from and if we ask for this participation and we ask for people to to kind of like share ownership there still needs to be a bit of a an understanding that you're the person responsible for this. You're the person who's who's owning this. And how have you handled that? If you end up having loads of people creating wireframes and loads of people working on their own little versions of things and bringing it back. I, I think that's really common because we are mostly visual creatures. So it's only mm. right that, you know, if someone wants to communicate something, they're going to do it visually. We were doing it since, you know, cave art, yeah. the, you know, millennia ago. It's the way we communicate. It's the way we get what's inside our heads out because we're not always good at articulating. That's a secondary yeah. way of communicating and, and, and visualizing. So it's, yeah, I think it's building these relationships, isn't it? But being clear about roles and responsibilities. And, and mm. I know in the past we've done workshops where we've done like this grid where you've got the, you know, designers, the BAs, the the product people and all the all the different disciplines and researchers mm. maybe as well. And then on the other side, you've got, you know, what do you think we do? <laughs> and then get in each discipline to sort of do. talk about what, yeah, what they think you do. And then you've been able to play back what it is you do and then agreeing on where the overlaps are and where you'll collaborate together. So it's really clear. It's all out there for everyone to, to know. And I've I've done in the past as well, these charters between different practices as well, which are really good to say, this is how mm. we'll work together. But I think all of this is just 
scaffolding, isn't it? It's all scaffolding yeah. um, to what the real thing is, which is building the right culture, building the right relationships. And that's mm. that's the hard bit. That's the invisible bit that you have to work at. Like a marriage, it's like... <laughs> it is. maybe we- saying more about my marriage but yeah it's a <laughs> you have to really work at these things to get them right and to do. make them persist yeah <laughs> but when you say you're building the culture and building all of that kind of stuff usually when you're you're building something you have a sense of kind of ownership of what you build and you know what materials you're going to use in that build so if you're building a house you know you, you get to, you know choose the windows choose all that kind of stuff in government in particular, you don't always get to choose the materials. And in this instance, we're going to talk about people. Sometimes you have to inherit people uh, as part of your team who've been there for 20 years and they, they want to get involved and they've been seconded into this area of the business. And you're going to be working with people with different maturity, different levels of aptitude and sometimes different levels of interest. They might be there and they're like, OK, well, I'm not really that keen. In it. Like, I don't really want to do the research, but hey, you know what? I'm the research person on this project. Have you had experience with that? And if so, how do you handle, you know, that kind of conflict? Because, you know, you sound like you're deeply passionate about creating services that, you know, sort of respond to the the, the true human need. But not everyone on your team is going to be singing for that same hymn sheet. So, yeah, I'm going to be... I'm going to directly be, yeah, You'd be Frank, I'd be Anne. Hey! I'm going to contradict you, actually. I'm going to contradict you here. So I... I think in government design, user-centered mm. design is actually more mature sometimes than private sector, other sectors. So I, and I think that's because we've got this strong set of principles to work to. Mm-hmm. We've got a strong sense of direction. Um, yeah. We have to produce things that, that work for everyone. True. You know, it's a really big audience. <laughs> yeah. um, and the land registry supports um, seven trillion pounds of property assets in the uk so it, it's, it's wow it really props up the economy uh, it yeah, supports absolutely. it helps it run so it has to work and it has to work for everyone and it has to be inclusive um hmm. so i mean and and by by saying it comparing it with the the private sector i mean companies as a whole i don't mean the actual practitioners because i think yeah. everyone as you know if you come into design and you're you're passionate anyway i don't think you do it if you're not passionate about people and and designing things and creating and being creative but um i i think you sign up for that you know that it's going to be more restricted in you know like how creative you can be but there's a different mission there but going back to like leadership and inheriting and people's ways of thinking about user-centered design i think that's any any organization you know you could inherit people who are not passionate or they've been there a long time or Hmm. they don't agree with the mission that that's anywhere that's not just um public sector and and government Um, yeah yeah. one of the big things um in your thread which kind of said okay i definitely want to speak to laura (laughs) Um, which made me reach out was because I I was formulating a talk pre-pandemic around trust and building trust. And within design, we we talk about building culture and building teams and, um, you know, getting buy-in and getting the seat at the table and stuff like that. Building trust is really, really hard. And building trust in teams and organizations that have been doing it a certain way for so long. And then you become this person who comes in and, you know, in my instance, I'm like a Duracell rabbit. I'm just running around kind of full of energy, kind of going, let's try this. Let's, you know, I'm probably over positive some days. 
how do you, well, what are your thoughts on uh, the role of trust? And what are the things that you should avoid doing, not to avoid doing? Like, What are the pieces that you think we need to be cautious of? Yeah, so I, I saw a really good quote the other day, and it was by Catherine Grace, mm. who's the the new head of NHSX, I think it is, and it's via Stephen Covey, who did the, is it Seven Habits yeah. of Highly Effective People? So he said, progress happens at the speed of trust, and it's a really slow thing to develop, but it's a really quick thing to break, isn't it? So it's one of those really interesting cultural uh, things that happens is that you know, you can discard trust really quickly and it will never be built again, you know, between a mm. couple of people. But if you take the time, if you accept it's a long game, it can be built. Um, mm. The things not to do, I think with the things I listed earlier about, you know, um, being derogatory because that breaks trust really quickly and, um, yeah. you know, advocating in the wrong way, making it us and them, um, being territorial, not sharing and being transparent. But I think yeah. the ways to build trust... Um, the opposite being transparent um and also showing the science of design so you said you run around going oh let's try this let's try this actually being focused and showing that design is so much more than color palettes um aesthetics yeah. you know it's actually about cognitive biases gestalt psychology the way we perceive mm. the world uh, behavioral economics and other you know psychological and social science backgrounds that that is how we build the credibility that we're a scientific strategic unit in an organization and we have a way to be used early on in the process to to be part of the decision making to be part of the problem framing um and and mm. yeah the same as any other other dis discipline like developers for example you know if we're included early we can we can help supercharge what you're doing uh, but brought in too late we we can only do the aesthetics really yeah i wonder and i again this is a, a kind of a, a pretty open conversation but i i don't think we can measure trust i think it's just it's something that you can sort of sense it's it's a human yeah. human thing that if you feel like you've actually hit that point where you can actually have open conversations without fear of retribution and fear that things are going to happen in in a negative way um what are your thoughts on being able to to to, to measure these kind of things that are in, intrinsically difficult to measure but how do you know when trust has been reached other than building the relationships yourselves like so if you're managing lots of people which you're saying as the head of design what are you looking for so the, the more I talk about this subject, the more I realise it's actually just talking about psychological safety in teams, isn't it? It's, mm. it's like you said, there's there's key indicators that that psychological safety is there, not just mm. in the design team um, or yeah. whatever team you work in, the ECD team, the research team, but between that team and other teams, the, the adjacent mm. disciplines like uh, developers and product and, you know, all the other, other, other disciplines. Mm. And I think the key indicators, one you touched on is that People are okay to be candid about when they've done something wrong or they failed or something didn't work. So, for example, mm. you know, um, you'll often see in uh, organizations, look, you've done the research, but you can't show it. You can't show yeah. that it's too negative. <laughs> Something's gone yeah. wrong and that's going to affect my delivery schedule and I'm going to get get it in the neck. Um, so yeah. there's that sort of candidness, I think, is one of the key aspects. And I think also that willingness to work together um, as well as like another key indicator. So you'll get people who mm. are actively seeking to work together. So you might get a designer and a product manager 
who have regular meetings they really in, you can you can feel <laughs> you can feel the mm. love between them that they they really enjoy working <laughs> together and you can see where people are being avoidant you know and that's that's mm. the key indicator not that turning up for meetings and stuff n- yeah not not being and also not being included in the meetings so you can see just looking down the uh, the uh, attendee list have anyone has anyone from a UCD perspective been included is you know that would be a key indicator that they don't feel like they belong there or they mm. don't feel like they can ask to be there or that they don't even know that UCD, UCD exists in the in the organisation. So, yeah, there's lots of these key indicators like that. And it is, like you say, it's hard to measure, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You, you were talking about, I guess, the, the controversial piece that you're referring to in your um, your tweet. There was loads of them. I think it was about 15 or 20 of them <laughs> nested together. And um, it was great. Like, I love those kind of big, longer threads. But um, it's really important to think about design, I guess, uh, as like the fabric of the organization, to quote Sarah Drummond, good friend uh, of the podcast. And, you know, it's really to understand like the, the role that design were sometimes contributing to to these kind of negative behaviors. Um, can you talk to that a little bit more around what you've seen? I probably can't talk about where I not, work. Not, 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 we're not looking for names, <laughs> but just in terms of no, like yeah, but... other things that, um, other things that you might've seen within organizations, like other than what we've, we've discussed so far, so far, like just to give us anecdotes, because some people might kind of go, well, that's not us, but I'd love to hear some of the background, um, scenarios of, of led to this kind of thread, just, and again, obviously, I'm not looking for any incrimination or anything finger pointing. <laughs> I, can, I can probably talk more about my experiences where... Yeah, your perspective on a, these things. Yeah, as like a, a younger designer I, where you come across this this profession and you think, that's it, that's mine, mm. that that is for me. And you immerse yourself in all of that. And like you say, you come back and you're so excited. You want to tell everyone this is... It's almost like this is the new way, the new religion. And yeah. <laughs> must, this is this is what everyone must follow now. Um, yeah. But here's all the jargon. Here's all the terminology. Here's yeah. all the dense stuff because it makes me sound smart, <laughs> um, and you don't know this, so this is new to you. But actually, that just makes that rift even bigger because people don't have time. They've got their own day job, you know. So explaining the terminology is really important. Explaining the reason why you're doing it as well, I think, is another thing. So, um, and I think this is maybe what I put in the tweet as well is that we have no we don't we don't spend a lot of time explaining what we do or how we do it yeah. what we'll deliver what it means um and the activities we're doing and what they mean the mm. um uh how long it takes <laughs> i've already said that one um but yeah we don't explain all like the how what where why when um and what they can expect at the end of it so yeah. if 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 i was having my house um some building Built. work done for example yeah if i if i was doing like an extension I wouldn't just let someone come in and say, okay, just like, I just want that wall knocking out. I don't care how you do it. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what it looks like, you know, just, just do it. You know, I, I would yeah. want to know the ins and outs, you know, and I think we forget that we are working on some people's precious houses, you know, yeah. and everyone has a stake in that, you know, they don't want it to fall down. You know, some people will be crushed by it. Some people will be yeah. mildly maimed and... <laughs> You know, yeah. it's it's actually one of those things that we forget that this is a shared project. It's a shared goal. And, you know, I think that's what we need to be more clear with. You know, how, why mm. should anyone trust us if we don't tell them how we work, 
what we do, how long it takes. So we need to be clear with all those things. Um, and that's, that's what I've not done in the past. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it's fair to say many of us have probably not done that. We've spent probably, um, there's probably coming from a place of fear, I think, within design where we're like, well, we need to perform. We need to do deliver value straight away. And sometimes it's a case of slowing down at the start, trying to understand the system and understand the network that you're currently going to be a part of and making sure that you're working and being inclusive and adhering to, to the best practice. Um, slowing down to, to go faster is speed kind of, mm-hmm. to speed up is, is usually the best approach. I remember in a, in a government project in Australia, um, it was an one of the big projects that I've probably spoken quite a lot about, I took an awful lot of time to to get to a point where I was like, okay, now I'm ready to start designing. Like I'm talking months. And <laughs> yeah. a lot of it was it was a case of going out. I was doing an awful lot of diligent work in terms of documentation and research and stuff. But um, one of the pieces that I found really helpful, and we'll, we'll get to it a little bit more in your perspective of this, in the real world, when we were working with people side by side, was meeting them outside of the office. And I would always uh, book my meetings in coffee shops close by. And I'd, be, I'd scout the coffee shops to make sure it wasn't like, you know, a rowdy bar. But um, And being able to have a, a meeting outside of the, the building to help build that trust at a, at a you know, kind of a, a more of an organic speed uh, as opposed to the, the corporate structure where we're sitting in a, you know, a glass box and we're sitting there and we're like, what are you going to do? And I found that to be a really powerful thing. I found it to be um, a nice tactic to, because people love getting their coffee paid for and a slice of banana bread. Um, it was, it goes so far and being able to enable to, to build that relationship to help enable that trust. How have you found doing this stuff? You know what I'm going to ask next? In the pandemic, yeah. the that kind of uh, emulation and those kind of um, behaviours we've obviously struggled. We, we can't do that face to face as much as we can. And I guess it's probably only going to get, um, that gap is going to get bigger because remote work is now huge, um, which is, which is fantastic, but it'll give us other challenges on to be able to li- deliver and to be able to make those relationships. How, how, and what are you doing around that space? Yeah. So I, I agree with what you're saying that it, you need to humanize yourself, you know, mm. to, to make it, you know, not a them and us and to, to show that vulnerability that you are just doing your job as well and you're yeah. there to help them do their job. Um, so, yeah, during the pandemic, it's it's much harder. You, you do have to over communicate. So setting yeah. up more meetings with people, that's why I was saying earlier, mostly meetings for me in, in uh, my role. But it's useful because that is humanizing and it and it helps you mm. connect with people and and keep that conversation going rather than maybe meeting every time something goes wrong or meeting every time yeah. you have a major release or something that that's when the stakes and tensions are the highest and it, you don't always get the best of people or you know and yourself so i think another thing that that the pandemic to sort of see the silver lining is that yeah. the the friction for doing research and design has um, greatly decreased. <laughs> so you can do remote interviews, you can quickly spin mm. up a, a research project and deliver that back really quickly with the collaborative tools we've got as well online. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can deliver that back really quickly as well. You can record it and you can let people watch that and then answer questions in their own time. So I think there's definitely pros and cons. It's not the same as having someone in the room with you and watching that yeah. real-time 
research unfolds and the penny drop moment that you get but there are definitely good bits as well (laughs) yeah i know absolutely there's a whole load of other pieces in here that we wanted to i wanted to cover off um but you know we're we're at that point where I'm, I'm conscious of time and stuff. But you've also spoken recently at UX Glasgow. You were talking about um before when yeah. we, were, we were chatting. Do you have any other talks coming up that people might be able to to follow you and and join in on? I don't have any at the moment. None that I can talk about yet. But um, you can always look at my newsletter. So I do put ah, out a newsletter good. every month. If if I'm <laughs> if I'm uh, good enough to remember, uh, it's yeah. it's a little bit sort of um yeah delayed sometimes but it's called the people place and space newsletter all about user-centered design so i I do that every month um okay and you can always find me on twitter i'm very vocal you're definitely (laughs) on twitter you're you're an active tweeter i am definitely there (laughs) which is which is great like you know so i'll put a link to your your twitter in the show notes put a link to the the newsletter in there as well and also maybe a link to your uh linkedin for people who want to connect with you and, and kind of follow you and what you're doing. But Laura, look, it has been absolutely brilliant to connect with you today. Um, really enjoyed our conversation and like those threads that you did on, on Twitter, like I'll also put a link to that one as well. So people can read the full, the full thread because there's a, an awful lot to be learned from other people's perspectives in that thread alone and how people are, you know, seeing different things and, and you, people might get an awful lot from that as well. So thanks for creating it. Thanks so much for your Thank time. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been great. It's been a bit like UX therapy. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a podcast. We should do a UX therapy podcast. Who knows? Maybe, maybe you might yes. want that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Laura, have a great weekend. Thanks so much. Thank you now. Bye. So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. Now, if you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.